0: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you listen to this podcast. This podcast is available on Amazon Music. It's also available on Apple and Google and Spotify and many other places that podcasts are available. I'm Sherry Dutter. I'm an occupational therapist and dysgraphia expert. Welcome to The Writing Glitch, Hacking Dysgraphia, No Pencil Required. In this episode, Sarah Collins shares her world of occupational therapy and homeschooling and how they collided to create a business while she homeschools her kids. Welcome, Sarah. How are you today?
1: Really? (laughs) I actually really am good. It's been a really great week here. And we've changed a couple of systems within our homeschool and feeling really a lot more organized and like it flows really well. And I'm doing beautifully today.
0: (laughs) Fabulous. I'm glad to hear it. But we met online a few years back. I think it was on Instagram. I think you reached out to me asking me about some things. And all of a sudden, we've realized that we live about an hour and 15
1: minutes apart. Very true. That's right. Love the topic of handwriting. I was reaching out looking for a book to do a book study on with a whole group of homeschool moms. That's where I found yours. And it's been a pleasure and an honor since then.
0: Yes, it has been a pleasure meeting your family. We actually went on a trip to Virginia together, and that was absolutely fabulous and exciting last summer.
1: Yes. Yes. Virginia is my home state. And then I went to graduate school in Richmond where we ended up being. So it made it even more fun. I just love it. I
0: totally enjoyed our time together. Thank you for being a pillar and a sounding board as I'm working through different things myself and vice versa. I'm sure that you've appreciated me being a sounding board as well.
1: Absolutely. I think there are so many of us that are working in these special little areas of occupational therapy, it's one of the beautiful things of our profession is that we can really pick a part that's flowing with our lives at that point in time and run with it. But at the same time, we also need people to do that right alongside of us. It's been really wonderful to have a person to do that with. Before we get
0: into how homeschooling and occupational therapy collided in your life, I'd like to introduce our sponsor. Today's podcast was brought to you by Daughter Educational Consulting. At Daughter Educational Consulting, we hack dysgraphia from the inside out. Dysgraphia is a disability in writing. From students writing letters and shapes through completing a dissertation or anything in between, people may have difficulty. It does impact one-third of the population. Being a sister to dyslexia, it is not the same. In fact, some people with dysgraphia are brilliant readers. Our role is to help teachers, therapists, and parents build clarity, community, and competency around the barriers to writing success. We use neuroscience and research-based content to design interventions for the whole classroom that can be completed two minutes each day and thwart this disability all without raising the scepter, a pencil. Together, we can change the lives of 110 million people in the United States and around the world about dysgraphia, one classroom at a time. You can find more information about our services at sherry.error.com. That's sherry.error.com. We search every day for new ways to cheer you. We believe that every person is a servant, king or queen of their own leadership potential. Understanding leadership potential starts with effective writing skills. Effective writing skills start by connecting the brain and the body. Let's transform those struggling writers into the leaders they need to be in their community. Let's teach them that their struggle is their gift to lead others. Join the Writing Glitch community today. Sarah, are you ready to share some gold nuggets? I am. I am. I am here and ready. Tell me. How did
1: homeschooling get into the mix of your days as an occupational therapist? I tell you what, it was not something that I prepared. It's not my grand plan of what I expected, but I was actually working in home health care and my kids were in public school. My daughter at the point was in third grade and my middle son was in kindergarten. And then I had another little guy who was one at that point. And I was in home health care. I was driving around to families' homes and I saw a family that was Homeschooling at that point. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. It's totally different than when my kids are gone at school and I'm doing my thing. And then I pick them up and we run to field hockey practice and we run to this, this hockey practice and everything else along the way. I thought it was great, but not something that I could do because, again, I was working full time. And within a month, interestingly, my husband got his job up here in Pennsylvania and we were moving. And so we moved up. I got them started in their new public school. We were in a rental house and then we're moving again. And it was May. And I said, this is silly that I'm going to put them in their third public school in one school year. We started homeschooling at that point. This was 2017 and just fell in love with it. We met a fantastic community of people and just really started moving in that direction. We did that from 2017. We're still homeschooling, but I was only focused on homeschooling for about two years and then realized that there is quite a large population and community of homeschoolers, especially around us, and many that had questions that they could benefit from the advice of an occupational therapist with. I was using my OT brain throughout the day So often I have a kiddo who sensory processing disorder and really just thinks differently. He's neurodiverse and my brain was just my OT brain continuously thinking of ways that I would adapt to my day and ways to help him. And he also has dysgraphia, things that I was doing to build up his Strength, his looking at convergence and his primitive reflexes, and so many different things that really made a difference in our day. That I knew there are other people who are doing the same thing. That's when I started homeschool OT and started working with other parents in the same situation. One of the things
0: that you have told me in the past is there's many kinds of homeschooling. Please shed some light on what homeschooling looks like versus what it looked like in a public school as an OT Mm -hmm. direct service provider
1: versus what it looks like as a cyber provider. Yes, it is a whole other world. Now, first of all, do you hear this piano playing behind me? Can you hear it? I see you looking to the side every once in a
0: while. (laughs) I could hear something that somebody was talking to you, but
1: Here's the nature of homeschooling, right? I've got a kiddo right in the other room playing the piano because it's piano lessons time. Here I am talking to you at working. It is a back and forth continuously of, wait, what's happening now? Am I working? Am I homeschooling? But that's how we think of as homeschooling family. We don't just do education from nine to 320 with lunch at 1046. 1046 is literally the time my daughter had lunch when she was in public school. We look at education as an entire day. It's a lifestyle. There's a philosopher who is very prominent in the homeschool world named Charlotte Mason. And she talks about how education is a discipline and a life and an atmosphere. We think of What are our surroundings? How do they promote learning? So lifestyle of the questions we ask and the things we're exposing our kids to. And it's a discipline where we really have to think and search out different questions. We search out opportunities. We have daily routines and rhythms, which guys, all of this goes along with occupational therapy, right? That's what I'm thinking of when I'm thinking of home education is that it's a whole lifestyle. Now, it's important to say that not everybody's homeschools, there are actually no two that are the same. There are a lot of different philosophies of education. Then we have to look at everybody's environments, and no two families are the same as that. Their houses are different. The number of kids are different. Their backgrounds are different. And their kids' strengths and weaknesses are different. We can cater specifically to those kids. Homeschooling really gives us a privilege to look at this individual family, individual kid within that family, and look at their environment and look at what they love and need and want to do during their day and work specifically with them. I
0: have some friends who are homeschool parents, not occupational therapists. And they often say to me, like, my day gets started with Bible study, and then we move on to this atmosphere. And When I saw that atmosphere, a lot of that was very similar to the public school. But in our conversations in the past, you have also said that homeschooling doesn't necessarily have to look like it does in the public environment. Go into that a little bit more of what your day may look like that totally is different than what it looks like in a public building.
1: In the public school system, there is a lot more routine, obviously. You start at a certain time, like I mentioned, the, the lunchtime at 1042. You know that we're going to do math for this certain amount of time, and we're going then we're going to do language arts for this certain amount of time. And that doesn't necessarily have to be the way that it is within the homeschool day. I have from the time that my kid wakes up until the time that my kid goes to bed. When I'm thinking about this is their education this entire day, I don't really need to worry about exactly, do I have everything done by 3 p.m.? And if not, it's their homework. We're doing things all of the time. Now, I do have a certain rhythm to our day. We get up. My kids do... Usually, they're paying. I'm doing my own kind of thing in the morning. We get together at 9 o'clock and they all make their breakfast They're by themselves. My youngest is seven and Annabelle's my oldest and she's 14. There's quite a different age range, but they're cooking in the kitchen together while I'm reading aloud. I look at, especially for my youngest, that's Matt within the kitchen as he's He made waffles completely by himself the other day and was looking at the amounts that he has to put in everything. He's got some kitchen practical math there and I'm reading to them. And then we stay together for usually about an hour. This is our rhythm, right? It's not a exact time that we're done. And then they break up and do some things that they can do on their own. And I like a nerd, I made up a little title for this. We call it our coop and loop time right away. Our coop time is where they help me take care of stuff around the house. This is partially because my son, who I said has dysgraphia and sensory processing, like we look at chores as ways to be working on his strengthening. I have the cleanest floorboards around because this kiddo crawls on the floor and wipes down. He's reaching across, you know, midline. He's wiping the side of them. This is almost like what you say we're working on handwriting without the scepter of the pencil. He is really working on that upper body strength as he's doing that. We're washing windows, the same thing. They were allowed to build that stuff naturally into the day rather than having to break it apart. Then they also have their loop time, which is things they could do on their own. They follow their interests. My son, who absolutely loves stop motion, He's making stop motion to go along with the history that we've been learning. And he does that during that time. We're following specifically what he wants to do. It's an occupation he loves, but we're adding it into education and he has that freedom to do. We come together for lunch, look at anchor points of our day, and then we anchor things to either side of them. If lunch is when we're all together, and again, I'm a nerd, we made up this title and I got this from another homeschooler, but we call it Lit Lunch. We have candles and we listen to audiobooks while we eat lunch all together. know, <laughs> I It's so fun. Then they go back if they have other things that they need to do, lessons that they haven't done, math, writing, reading, things like that, that come along in the afternoon time. It's all different. I have a second grader and I've got a ninth grader, so they're doing different things, clearly, but we are pulling on their strengths, following their interests. It can be very different than we have to get an entire classroom full of children from this point A to point B by the end of the year. But instead, we're looking at each of my own kids. How are they progressing along with the material that helps them at their age range? But whether or not it's as fast or slower than somebody else doesn't Necessarily matter. I'm looking at how they are progressing themselves, you know, them specifically towards what they need and want to do.
0: You mentioned something about lunch that had a big Mm -hmm. trigger in my brain. It was the idea of meditation around that calming time. If only we had those moments when I was doing substitute teaching, Mm -hmm. we'd come in after lunch and I'd turn all the lights off. And I believe that one of the things that happens in the public school when the kids are misbehaving, as I air quote around Mm -hmm. that misbehaving piece, is that the teachers will turn the lights off to get their attention. Fear that comes over their face when a substitute does that was very apparent that Mm -hmm. I did something that they're not used to. And I was like, no, we're going to have some time where the lights are off as long as you can see well enough to do the next task that we're doing so that your eyes get adjusted to another light environment. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit calmer because I don't know if you can, but I can. And it's bothering me and it's giving me a headache. And I bet you it's giving you one too. And I talk about the sound vibrations in the fluorescent lighting, Mm -hmm. the light cycles Mm -hmm. in the fluorescent lighting. And the kids look at me like, oh, (laughs) Oh, I didn't have a clue. It was very interesting doing that. And there was one point in time where teacher knew that there was going to be extended period of time and it was getting closer to holiday. And there was a time where I had a video on for the kids. And some of those kids really needed to be on the floor with a pillow Laid out mm-hmm. and prone extension, mm-hmm. they could just relax. And instead, they're stuck in a seat. Love the the things that you share on Instagram and on Facebook, where you do highlight your son with the dysgraphia that's out there, and he's doing things. I just want to highlight that part of what
1: homeschool can offer us as therapists and parents. We've had a language around this for a long time. We talk about how does your body feel right now, whether there's a time we were doing the alert program, there's a time where we were thinking of it as within zones of regulation and but providing a language of how do I feel right now? What do I need? And also we talk a lot about like your sensory needs are not more important than your sister's sensory needs. You just because you need to move and you need to spin right now, I love that you can do that, but that visually is really bothering her. How are we going to make this so that you can work together. And a lot of times we can figure it out. They know now because we've continuously talked about it throughout the entire time that we've been homeschooling. And we also have, speaking of lighting, we spend a lot of time outside. After our our morning time when we're, we're all together and usually in one room, my boys go outside, my daughter sometimes will. She's a teenager. So she's not as excited to do what mom tells her to do. But my boys will go outside and my son is a hockey player and he will skate up and down the street. My youngest son is a soccer player and he's kicking his balls out out front or riding his bike. And they really get that movement continuously throughout the day. And because it can be naturally built in the time and it allows them to think through what does my body need and really act on it instead of having to control it so much they can act on what they need
0: and there's no reason that you can't add the physics in there
1: no absolutely not we're actually doing physics this year we were just talking about we're doing it with my with all of my kids, my daughter's obviously a little bit more in depth than my seven year old, clearly. He's learning Newton's laws. And my daughter, Annabelle, is really doing a lot of the science projects. And she goes to a co op, they all do, but goes to a co op every Monday where they do science experiments and she has to write lab reports. We were just talking about even the physics of geese flying overhead. It's fascinating. <laughs>
0: Tell all the listeners of what a co op is.
1: A co op, there's again many different types of these, but a co op, we do. Two during the week, but it's really when homeschoolers meet up as a group. And some are more formal and academic than others. On Mondays, we go and it's a group, it's a nationwide curriculum, but we meet in different communities and we have a set time that we do things during the day. And that's where we lay out what we're going to do for the rest of the week. And their assignments can be done. And my older daughter has group discussions in there. We do a lot of science projects, the other art projects, music, the things that you really might need other people around do. My daughter has done debate and mock trial I'll through that co-op. We have another one on Thursday where it's just a group of us that we, it's not really as formal, but a group of us of families that have kids similar ages. And we meet and we do a few things together in the morning where we do a hymn study, we're doing poetry and a nature study. And then after that, they just do their own work together side by side, but not doing the same thing because that's, let's think about in the workplace, how you have to learn to focus on your own work while others are nearby and right around you. They're practicing and learning that skill together. And they do that for a couple hours and we have lunch and then we all head home. So many people say, how are you going to socialize your children? (laughs) When you are homeschooling. And I'm not gonna lie, I had that question myself. And I had encountered homeschool families before the one that I learned where I modeled part of our homeschool from. But I had encountered other homeschool families before and i I probably asked that same question. But let me tell you now, as an occupational therapist, don't ask your homeschool families that. They've heard it plenty of times before, and they have umpteen and ample opportunities to socialize their children. <laughs> it is question that can be better phrased as do you participate in co-ops do you have other extracurricular activities that you do are there ways that your kiddos are interacting with kids who are older or younger or adults there are so many opportunities throughout the weeks part of my
0: clientele that is listening to the right english are teachers mm-hmm. have any interactions with teachers or any thoughts for teachers before we go into the next question that i have for you about your course
1: are you asking me about interventions? Or are you asking how I interact with teachers as a homeschool? We have a
0: lot of teachers that are listening to this. They are looking for ways to help with writing. Is there any strategies that you can give them to help them, even if they are still in a public mm-hmm. or a private school? What are some things that you recommend to them?
1: Okay. One of my favorite things that we have done is nature journaling. And there's really two things actually that I'd like to talk about. One is there is a philosopher who leads into a lot of homeschools, but then also there are full schools built on the Waldorf education model. One of the things that he talked about was form drawing. And we've done this within our homeschool and it has really made a huge difference. There's a great book, out by Angela Lord called Creative Form Drawing. Actually, I actually have it sitting right next to me. It could remind me. <laughs> but So what it does is that it gives you a small picture that you're going to focus on during the week. And you start with looking at it and describing it. Then you're trying to find it out in nature. You're trying to find it in things around you. For example, if you're fine, starting at the very beginning with a straight line, right? I see it in the tree trunk. I see it in my chair. I see it on the bulletin board, how it's straight up and down. You're finding it. You're modeling it with your body. Maybe you're riding your bike in your straight line, or if you're at school, maybe you're moving your arms up and down in a straight line. The next day, you might build it out of something wiki sticks or Play-Doh or drawing it in the sand, whatever. And then you move from there to actually writing it on the next day. So it takes these forms from the beginning And you're using your whole body and then moving into the more fine motor until finally you're getting it on the paper. And it progresses from just a straight line all the way to these very complex figures that help as you're learning fractions and you're learning geometry. And so it really builds handwriting. Coordinates it with math and with the other visual arts, and it coordinates it with science because you're finding it out in nature. And so it's a really cool way to bring together all of these different subjects. Another piece that's part of our nature journaling is this form drawing because we find it out in nature.
0: We will make sure that we have that book in the show notes for you. And it makes me think. Before we you move on to the other thing that you were thinking mm-hmm. of, of all these interventions that I'm teaching in the dysgraphia warm-up protocol, that mm-hmm. would be a great image to ask the kids, what do you see? What yeah. do you notice? How does it make you feel? What questions can you come up with? And tell me more. Mm-hmm. Building on a single line can transform their impression of their environment.
1: Thank yes, you. Absolutely. The next thing actually is nature journaling, more in depth, finding something that you notice and something, how does that make you feel? And then putting it down onto paper. We've done this with watercolors. We've done this writing. We will go out somewhere and find something we see or we hear or we touch. And then we look at it. We feel it. Then we are putting it onto our paper Annabelle was already writing when we started doing this but my son Caleb who's my middle son he's now 11 it took me a minute he's now 11 he was six he would talk to me he would narrate what he sees and what he observed and I would write it down and he would read it then we just a little bit more where I would write it down and he would copy it into his nature journal and now we progress even further where he's just writing what he sees and we're doing now the same thing with my seven-year-old, it allows them to get their thoughts across and realize that they're writers before they're actually even writing. That's such an important piece of learning how to write is just realizing my words that come out of my mouth correspond to these letters that are on this piece of paper. And it doesn't matter if I'm physically writing it or if it's just appearing on the paper because my mom is writing it, but you are still a writer. That was huge for us. And now I can look back at these nature journals from him in first grade and my daughter in fourth grade all the way up to now when he's in sixth and she's in ninth. And we're doing the same thing with my younger guys that comes along. They're my treasures. They are going to be such a
0: valuable
1: 18-year-old gift. Oh my.
0: Wow. One of the things that I've heard people do is do something special for the 18th birthday. I can just see a very valuable treasure that you would leave with your kids for each one of them individually.
1: And when you were talking to about how you turned off the lights and it allowed a bit of the calming for the middle of the day to then lasting into the afternoon. As OTs, we think so much about sensory processing and how the natural lighting outside and alerting to the bird that flies by because it gives us information on where our bodies are in space. If I can give that to my kids by their observations in nature, they can do that wherever they are. I don't care if you live in New York City or if you live in I don't know, live in the middle of Austin, Texas, or you live in God knows where out in the the country. It doesn't matter. You can find somewhere in nature. If they can have that appreciation and they've learned to write and they've learned to observe and they've learned to seek out the details in that, they can carry that through the rest of their lives. And our students in schools can do that too.
0: Absolutely. You haven't just been homeschooling your kids. You haven't just been out there talking to OTs, but you actually have some courses for OTs from parents, for teachers, and you are out there advocating for homeschooling and OT in different communities. Share a little bit about your course and how you are interlacing these two entities of your life and giving yourself a whole being. Yes,
1: I think there are a lot of occupational therapists who don't necessarily understand homeschooling. I myself was one of those before I started homeschooling. I also think that there's a lot of homeschool parents that don't understand what occupational therapy is. And I have a mission to merge us together. One of the things I do is I have a course on homeschooling for occupational therapists. Now I say that, but it is getting revamped right now because I started it in 2020. Clearly there's a lot of things that need to be updated because the homeschool world has exploded since 2020. I am working on that right now as we speak is updating it. But what the goal is then is that as I know occupational therapists who are what I call homeschool friendly, meaning you're not going to be the ones that are saying, how do you socialize your children? And your kid needs to go into the public school so they can get all of these resources? Because that's not research-based. It's not evidence-based. Because of that, I'm having an occupational therapist in every state that I can send families to. The other piece of that is when I work with families, the role of homeschool OT is not direct therapy. I do not do that. But I work with parents on either setting up their homeschool days or on adding some strategies into their day or educating and I do that through what I call focus groups there're three that I have right now are sensory processing handwriting and executive functioning and we go through the whole background of what do these terms even mean what are some of the underlying skills that we need to build up in our kids how can we do that within the homeschool day then if they need direct therapy I send them to the occupational therapist that I know are homeschool friendly emerging in them both together in that respect You've
0: had me speak at one of those focus groups, I believe.
1: Yeah, every time that the handwriting one runs, because one of the big things is what even is dysgraphia? You know your kiddo is struggling with handwriting, and I get tons and tons of questions on that. But why and what do we do? And is it dysgraphia? You've come and talked about the types of dysgraphia and what we can do within the homeschool day to help. I
0: have had people that have been on those calls, reach out to me afterwards and join Hi. some of my programs. I just wanted to say thank you I love you. that. Good. Good. Fantastic. That's the whole point of those. That's so great. That is one thing about the writing glitch that I love is that we can build community. First step in what we're doing is building clarity. That's basically dysgraphia awareness. Two is building community. And that's where the Writing Glitch community comes in. Anybody who is part of this podcast as an interviewee has the opportunity to participate as a, as a Q&A. I hope that you are able to participate in the Q&A. I would love to. Fabulous. This has been Sherry Dutter of The Writing Glitch. I am a dysgraphia expert. Sarah Collins is a homeschool OT and that is her expertise. And I believe that you have some freebies that you are willing to share with the audience.
1: On my website, which is www.homeschoolot.com. There are a number of blogs, which really talks you through our homeschool journey. I use the power of story to really try to explain my thinking as an OT. There are resources there as far as handwriting. There's resources there for sensory processing, resources there for trauma and grief when you are dealing with that within the homeschool day or working with as a teacher or an OT in the schools, helping kids through all of that. Those are on there. I also run the Facebook group called Homeschool Therapy Ideas. And as other occupational therapists, I love if you get on there and meet families and talk to them and work through. That's an opportunity to build more community, like you were saying, Sherry. For OTs, I also have a list of questions and things that are ways to talk to homeschool families that are homeschool friendly rather than things that our homeschool community finds offensive. Let's say culture handout that can really help to build that morale or build that, use our therapeutic use of self, right? We are talking to families and we don't want to make them run away, but yet want them to feel accepted and cared for within
0: our practices. Fabulous. I've already mentioned my intervention of the day, and that is asking students based on what they see, asking them, what do you see? getting their perspective. What do you notice? It's amazing to me how much different a response you get when you go, what do you see? What do you notice? It takes you further into whatever the image is. The other question that I ask is, how does it make you feel? I have an image that I use a lot, and that is a pool outside a beach house. So you can see the beach in the background. And I've had so many kids with autism say, I hate that. Mm -hmm. Being aware of the culture and the sensory processing issues for these kids is very crucial. The other question that I ask is something that you have already mentioned a little bit, and that is how to ask questions. What questions can you come up with based on what's the image in front of them? One of the things that is happening in the world of teaching is we are creating this culture of, I teach you, you do it, and you either get a yes or a no on the response. And students are not learning how to question authority, I guess is the way to say it. They're not learning how to question their peers You talked a little bit about team building. Project-based learning is a very new and upcoming trend in school systems. And I think it is a way to go to help create those questions. I don't know if you as an OT know what project-based learning is, but go talk to some of your teachers because I bet you they know. And maybe you can incorporate your knowledge as an OT into a project-based curriculum that one of the teachers is doing. Now, my listeners, I'd like you to do me a favor. I haven't asked this before. Could you please leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast? Let the podcast company know that this is valuable to you. I'd love for this podcast to get heard by more teachers more therapists, more people around the world because I do in my heart feel that together we can transform the lives of 110 million kids before 2025. The only way to do that is to create that community that we've talked about. My podcast releases on the second and fourth Tuesday of every month. Remember, you were put here for such a time as this. Transform that classroom before you ever raise that scepter, otherwise known as a pencil, and unleash student leadership potential. Unleashing that potential turns struggling writers into leaders. Post-podcast production is managed by Sam C. Productions. And if you heard that little chirp that's happening in the background, that is Mercury. You can see him on Instagram.